Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Brad, your kids are so very obviously your kids. Like they're just you through and through. And thank goodness it looks like they look like Crystal, first of all. It's a blessing for them and they avoided a lot of tough years in school. But I'm to understand that one, Hank is skating. Yes. And two, he has already broken a stick. <laughs> yes. So at his skating lesson today, they like throw toys and, and stuff on the ice because, you know, if the kids have something at the other end of the lane to get, they're more likely to try to get there themselves. Um, so today they throw out those little plastic hockey sticks you get in gym class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hank buckled one of them in the middle of this game. Oh, looks like dad's uh, getting a new agent. What is it? Kids version? Just sure. Get, just get one of them. That'll serve three for him. Um, I don't know. The lowest flex for uh, that those things go down to is 40, and that doesn't feel like enough for Hank. Kid's a little meat factory. Oh, he is. Well, uh, already on skates, that's fantastic. And that's uh, something really great to get from you, Brad. But already breaking hockey equipment, that is something that uh, you and Crystal probably would have been better off dodging. So I've already told everybody at my work, I'm working there till the day I die, even if it's like part time, one three hour shift a week, because I can't afford to lose the discount. <laughs> I just so can't. <laughs> Genetically. Between. Me and Crystal still play. Mika's already well into it and costing me a ton of money. And Hank's, if he's already snapping sticks, I'm screwed. It's a bad omen. All right, folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings in a much better mood because one, the West Coast road trip is uh, over so we can start to go to bed sooner. Uh, And two, because the Red Wings strung together a couple of good wins where they scored 13 goals, which I think matches their totals from the last, I don't even want to know how many games. Uh, so there's actual real substantial stuff to talk about. Uh, we're going to be talking to you about everything uh, from the game recaps to Phil Peronic to Larkin's scoring pace to uh, Kubelik. Is this a you know permanent thing for Kubelik? Uh, you know, how's Cider heating up? How's he paired up with Ben Sherratt? We'll be covering some NHL news and everything else to do in the world of hockey. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Evan, I'm, to understand you, uh, you lost tonight. In your hockey game. Yes. I haven't done any activity in three weeks. I'm not going to be able to get out of bed tomorrow. Oh, you can see it on you. You were like pepped up walking through my door. You still had the game adrenaline and it's fully gone now. Oh, absolutely. I reached over to clear something from in front of you on the table and you were ready to murder me. You're, you're already like bedtime irritated, Evan. I could go to bed right now and uh, it's fully because of that hockey game. I am, I am the peak athlete at this point <laughs> in my life yeah this is what adulthood is oh yeah is one to, i uh we, we changed we put our winter tires on today and two tires in my back started seizing up i was like oh boy oh yeah that's not good it's easy to get down there it's not easy to get back up <laughs> T- tires and back ryan that's two things i didn't need to talk about today oh yeah brad woke up with the flat <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> Okay, uh, let's get into the important stuff, actually. Uh, Before we talk about uh, the Red Wings, let's talk about the Jamie Daniels Foundation and the event happening on Thursday, December 1st. From 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. is Hot Stove Stories with Mick and Ken. And it's not just Mick and Ken there. It'll be Chris Draper, Chris Osgood, 
Daniel Halloran, and Wes McCauley. Uh, I'll be there uh, just to prod them to telling the fantastic stories. Uh, if you heard Ken on the Red Wings broadcast last night, he said, you know, he's been uh, uh, calling just to him and Ozzy have just been like feeding stories and, and anecdotes and things. And that's true. We have so much on the docket for that event. I cannot wait for those of you who are going. Uh, you're going to get some really fantastic stories and stuff. Even if you've been a Red Wings fan your whole life or an NHL fan your whole life, you will not have heard a lot of these. So really, really excited. There's going to be a QA. and uh, Obviously, the banter between Ken, Mick, the referees, the NHL legends. Um, it's going to be fantastic. And there's going to be breakfast served, obviously, from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, there's going to be a live auction. As well, uh, there's a silent auction that's open now at jamiedanielsfoundation.org. So that'll be open from now until the morning of December 1st, I believe at 9.45 a.m. They have some really great things in there, a signed Mo Sider jersey. If you know any sickos who are Leafs fans, they have a signed Austin Matthews jersey, uh, signed Game Use Larkin stick, I believe. There's some really cool stuff that's not uh, just NHL. There's a, a Mike Tyson signed boxing glove, um, a Guy Lafleur signed jersey, fantastic stuff in this auction uh check it out jamiedanielsfoundation.org get your tickets to the uh the hot stove stories breakfast event at jamiedanielsfoundation.org it's at motor city casino thursday december 1st i hope to see you all there the red wings played the last game of their west coast road trip and the second last game of the road trip in general uh, against the san jose sharks on thursday november 17th and that first period started off when I was watching that game, I wasn't inspired that uh, it was going to go any differently than the rest of the West Coast road trip, which at points the Red Wings played decent hockey and you know let a game get away from them, which we saw, and at points they just were outright terrible, which we also saw. And then from the second period onwards through the end of Columbus game, we saw a version of the Red Wings where I was like, that is exactly what the Red Wings should be this season. Not perfect, because they're not perfect on paper, and you're crazy if you expect that of them. That is exactly the kind of hockey we want to see the Red Wings playing. The game opened up uh, outside of the Kevin LeBanc goal. Philip Peronik jumped up in the play down the right side. Uh, Peron found him cross seam. And it was a, I think it was a really good display of one, what you love to see from Peron. The way he's able to control the puck from that left side. I know I've said this before, but, you know, he has the puck on a stick there and he doesn't do a lot. Like it's not a lot of handles. It's not a lot of, you know, head fakes, body fakes, but it's enough where he's set for the pass. And it's almost like the lack of body movement freezes defenders. He is so good at that. Some of it is they respect him and they give him the space because they know he can make those passes. But so much of it is just understanding the play around him, making only the necessary movements and then delivering and executing on the pass. So he found Hronik jumping up on the right side and Hronik, who's been fantastic. That's obviously the theme of this episode. He's been phenomenal um, and jumped in on the right side and buried it uh, against San Jose to open scoring for the Red Wings, that is. And that was the start of uh, a really, really fantastic two games for Philip Ronick on top of whatever, what he already had. Yeah, we were hoping coming into this season that Ole Mata would fix Philip Ronick. We, we said it tongue-in-cheek, like, mm -hmm. hey, put him with someone who can actually play, and we'll see what Philip Peronik, uh can truly unleash, what he can actually fully be. We said that in jest, but it's kind of happened. Because Hironic doesn't have to carry the weight of his pairing. 
I think he's a better overall defenseman than Ole Mata, but Ole Mata is also very good, which allows Hronik to step up in a play like where Perron was able to, you know, wait out the defenders and give him the pass. Like, you know, is that a play he can make last year if he's with Danny DeKaiser or Mark Stahl? No, because he might, he's probably very worried about what's going on behind him, or he suffered last year from what most siders suffered from early this year, where he was just trying to do way too much. Now Hironik has the ability to pick his spots. He's doing it very well. He's taking his time more. He's finding his lanes, whether that's a pass, uh, a pinch, or a shot. Shot's still a work in progress, but the last couple of weeks it's really come along. Mm-hmm. And now we're getting a glimpse, or a really good look at what I'll say Philip Hronik could be, because again, it's a relatively small sample size over the last few years. But this, you know, two to three week window of Philip Hronik is, is truly eye opening to hey, maybe this guy might be the dude we thought he was two years ago. It's a it's a start to a season. And I'm not going to say every game has been perfect for Ronick, but I think on balance, he's been the Red Wings' best defender. And if this is where Philip Ronick can deliver and play over the course of however long he's with the Red Wings, that's fantastic. That's great. You know, maybe a better version of the Red Wings team, he's the fourth best defenseman, and that's exactly what you want. But yeah, he's producing on offense. He's one of the Red Wings' uh, leading point scores, 14 points through 18 games, obviously the leading uh, defensive scorer. That's Philip Peronik. That's what you want from Philip Peronik. And it, that wasn't the only demonstration of that. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny that you said the shot is getting better because really he came onto the scene with his shot. It's very rare that you see a player lose that and then take a long time to find it. But, no, he's he's looked great. The shot never went away. It just didn't go anywhere near the net for a while. Oh, it, yeah, His it, finishing is a lot better. It yeah. went up, up, and away. Does it yeah. have any correlation to the mustache? Yeah, I'll say it does. Look. Yeehaw. I was going to get to it, but... If he shaves that thing at the end of the month and goes cold... We know. That's the ultimate jinx of all time. It's like hockey Samson. Keep the handlebars. Handlebar era Philip Peronik is... Elite. Absolutely elite. Uh, the Red Wings came into the second period down a goal and I think this is where I really saw the Red Wings or we really saw the Red Wings turn it on and again weren't perfect I think defensively they still had a lot lot of questions this game but uh, Larkin took a shot it kind of bounced off Perron's skate he ended up getting credited with the goal Larkin and Kublik on the assist and that seems to be a trend this year and then Jake Wallman welcome back to the team with holy shit what a shot from the point just a a missile like oh and he like Guys with good shots just wind skate in and wind up. Oh, yeah. You, you're you rolling the dice, and that was an absolute rocket. I mean, there's probably very few goalies who would have stopped that in the league. Yeah, it was a, a perfectly placed. And certainly James Reimer was not. <laughs> no, no, seven goals against. Yeah, I think you said, Brad, like the, the Sharks, the Red Wings did well to score, and you have to, but yeah, the Sharks weren't getting a save that night. No, they were not getting a save at all, but... And even when a goalie's having an off night, a relatively unobstructed shot from the blue line is saved 99 out of 100 times by the goalie. That was the one in 100. That was a missile to right on the elbow of the bar. You, you, couldn't, you could not possibly take a better point shot. Uh, to start the third, Joe Valeno uh, converted on a wraparound, which netted uh, Suter and Berggren. Uh, points. I really liked that line together. 
Uh, I thought they they clicked pretty well. And then things kind of went a little backwards for the Red Wings. Uh, Couture scored. Carlson scored. Carlson had four. Every single San Jose goal had Carlson factored in. I think he's been in on like like 75% of their points this year. Or like goals. He's been involved in them. It's absolutely mental. He is one of the NHL's leading point scorers. Like up there with Connor McDavid. Oh yeah. He's currently sitting third behind Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, yeah, tied with Pasternak and Kucherov. <laughs> One more point than Jason Robertson. Like, where, Wherever he found this time machine, I'm wondering if we can dial it back to 2008 and use it for the Red Wings, but we've talked about this before. Outside of when Carlson plays the Red Wings, it's just so nice to see as a hockey fan. Like, Hockey's just better when Carlson's producing. It's created some interesting storylines, which we'll get into, but yeah, he it wasn't a surprise to see him do that to the Red Wings. So four points factored in and, and this was all of a sudden a 4-4 game again and man I have never felt like more of a coward than I did after what happened next because pre-game I said and this would have been the second time I did it I, I wanted to tweet Mo Sider it feels like Mo Sider's night for his first goal of the season and I didn't because I'm like I did it the first time he came close he didn't actually do it I don't want to be the guy who just puts it out there you, yeah times. you can't recycle that content yeah well, I, maybe you could I don't know I could you're have it would have worked that. you're better than that though <laughs> evidently not but even better than all of that Mo Sider uh, ended up giving the Red Wings the goal uh, for the lead and you know in a game where I don't think he was perfect defensively I think him and Sherratt again this was one of those games where they demonstrated why maybe they struggled together as a pair and they still have a lot of work to do uh, Sider streaking down the right side uh, just fires at home, and I think he's had better shots that haven't gone in. But it, the weight off of his back, like the way he didn't even really celebrate as hard as his teammates around him. So you know how much that goal meant to him, and there just had to have been so much relief. So for Cider to give the Red Wings the goal that, to go ahead, I was like, if you could have picked anyone on the list on the roster, that is exactly who you would have picked. Yeah, it's. We, we've talked about it with Cop. We talked about it with Zadina about a hundred times. It doesn't have to be pretty to open the floodgates. And then the floodgates opened. Uh, the Red Wings ended up getting two more goals, one from Pew Suter, who uh, basically took advantage of a Reimer mistake, which capped off a very forgettable night for him, uh, out-hustled every shark to the puck, and then uh, put it in, and then Kublik ended up uh, capping off with the empty netter. So a seven-goal performance for the Red Wings. We talked a lot, this team needs offense. And are you going to get offense with the same set of names just organically by being, you know, all of a sudden naturally the best powerhouse offensive team in the NHL? No. But if you're going to run into a weak Sharks team with a weak Reimer and net, you got to capitalize and put it in. And that's what the Red Wings did. And like just such a stark contrast to the rest of the season so far or lately. Reimer and Corpusallo heard us talking about the Red Wings' anemic offense last episode and just went, nah, we'll we'll show you. Yeah. Uh, Perron had three points that game, another two each for Larkin and Kubelik. Uh, like I said, that was Heronik's another fantastic game for him. And uh, again, Valeno, Suter, and Berger, and I, I really like the way that line clicked. It was a good overall game. Uh, still some, some holes, I think, defensively. Like I said, I, I was really dialed in on, on Sider and Sherrod again. Uh, but then they went up against Columbus, and man, that Columbus was... Columbus is terrible. Oh, they... I mean, they're hurt. They're hurt yeah, like no they're one terrible. else. Yeah, but they're terrible. Yeah. That's a game the Red Wings needed to win. That's the team you have to go out 
and be the better team the entire game and you need to dominate them because they are completely depleted. I think if you ask Derek Lalone after the kind of hardships over that road trip, who do you want to play? Columbus would have been one of the teams he picked because that's a team to turn it around. Yeah, you're you're more depth. You have more NHL talent than the other team. I mean, the barn looked like it was half Red Wings fans anyway, so it may as well have been a home game. Like those are the teams you got to beat up on, and uh, I mean, if you don't, then that's an absolute disaster. But they went out there, finished the road trip, and were absolutely the better team in that game. I want to call out Anaheim, San Jose, and Columbus. All three of those games, you heard "Let's Go Red Wings" chants and a ton of red jerseys in attendance. Like, really, really, really great to see Red Wings fans both travel well, but also like there's just Red Wings fans everywhere. Um, you know, being an original six team and being successful for the last 30-ish years, save for the rebuild, uh, you're going to have fans who are transplants, fa- hockey fans who grew up in other cities and, and were originally Red Wings fans, whatever it might be. But that went away, right? With the worst parts of the rebuild, they didn't show up as much. And it's really good sign for the team, and I've talked about this before, but it's a really good sign for the team when you do what... Uh, pretty much Toronto does for anywhere in and around Ontario or where you know you're going out to the west coast or a city where you know there's a lot of Michigan transplants anytime you get the snowbirds down in Florida whatever it might be it is a good sign for the team they're not competing for cups yet but it's a good sign that they have all those red jerseys there so for the Blue Jackets game uh, Larkin open scoring uh, from Perron and Cider that was one of three assists for Cider to start the game and man it cannot be discounted how sick, how filthy that pass was from Mo Sider. I don't want to make the jump of like, okay, Sider got the goal, that's the monkey off his back, and now you're going to see him more naturally do what we know Mo Sider can do. But hey, it was the next game. It was a three-assist game, and he started it off with that play, which is the play of the year for him so far. What? It, it's a big deal that he did a fake one T toe touch through the legs, one touch past David Perron, almost tape to tape. It was behind him, just barely <laughs> outside his peripherals with a no look. It's and it was so soft too, like you you almost didn't realize what happened at first. That's a hard enough play to just recognize as it's happening. Like if he just turns his body and puts his blade in front of him and just kind of redirects it to Perron. That's an impressive enough play just because you have that level of awareness that you're paying attention to the puck on the right side and you know exactly where Buddy is on the left side and you're just able to get it there quickly on a one-touch. But to throw in the fake one-timer to, you know, you're not going to completely fool a defenseman or a goalie from that spot, but to freeze them, to flinch them, to panic them, and then just just little touch through your own legs over there, that's a, that's a, that's a play lesson for five percent of the players in the nhl can even think of doing so yeah the puck came to it was on the power play puck came up to cider at the point he fakes the one-timer the defender bites hard goes down for the block uh <laughs> sees that the puck went the other direction arm legs stick up in the air as they scramble <laughs> and like that freeze frame moment was only beat by mitch marner trying to play defense against was it jack hughes or nico Heischer who undressed him it was one of the devils and i think it was Heischer. And uh, uh, Marner lunged forward, basically falling forward. I was like, that's a tough look. That's how you know he's not a defenseman. But anyhow, the Columbus defender bit hard. And yeah, that one touch 
Oh, God, that one-touch perfect pass between his legs backwards to Perron. It makes it to the slot, and Larkin bangs it home. And I know it's hyperbolic, or it's dramatic, maybe, but I really did feel like when I saw that, I said, that's just a confidence thing. That's why we didn't see that as much before. It's not like Cider uh, has to have like an unreal trick highlight play every single game to to go out there and say, oh yeah, Cider had a good game. But it sure is nice when he's confident enough to execute that and he doesn't double clutch and he doesn't question himself and he doesn't make uncharacteristic mistakes, which is maybe what we saw a little bit more at the start of the year. So um, I'm happy that that San Jose goal started because then that that's pretty much what it led to. Uh, the Blue Jackets ended up tying it to start the second, but then Philip Peronik was Johnny on the spot. Well, actually, what did you call it? Johnny on the spot. Yeah, Johnny on the spot. Skated into the slot where there was a loose puck, honestly, almost even below the, the hash marks, and in homage to his former teammate, Mark Stahl, ripped an absolute piss missile from point blank. <laughs> the level of respect I have for people willing to take full <laughs> bombs from the middle of the slot it's you know what i don't want to even say they're easy it certainly isn't easy for the goalie but yeah he just confidently went in skated in wound up and just ripped it home and that is a confident philip ronick he went bar down on that too it's not like he just blasted it through the goalie he pinpointed that thing that man take every razor every trimmer away from him if we are ever sponsored by uh, one of no, those, no, 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 you got this backwards. He normally has the full beard. We need to keep the oh, razor. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's got to be there, ready to the settings. He like it. If we have to hire someone to apply the shaving cream, whatever it might be, <laughs> we we do it. Just put the guard over the handlebars. You know what? If we just have to, you know what, Chris Illich, if if you have to hire this man, a personal barber, just to live in his ensuite bathroom to give him a proper shave every morning, to keep this thing perfect. It's a cost that needs to be it has uh, to sourced for, for It's his operational cost. Yeah. Ben Sherratt, not to be outdone, said, I want to get in on this defensive scoring. Fired a shot from the blue line, which really shouldn't have gone in. And I don't even think that's the first time that's happened to him this year. Uh, but it made its way through, gave Detroit 3-1 lead. And then Philip Ronick said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm the star defenseman of this game. And Cider uh, and Larkin got the assist on this, but... Hrona came down the right side again, not the exact same uh, way as uh, against San Jose, but fired one home over the shoulder of Corpusalo. And originally, no one even knew that it was in, but Hronik knew because he's a confident man. He's a bad, bad man who is unreal on the ice right now. Top corner posting in. Sidebar, I love those goals where nobody knows they go in. Yeah. Just that few second momentary confusion of where's the puck and why are they all stopping? And then there's like, one person celebrating. Yeah. I was watching the game with Mika and she's like, there was that pause and then I kind of did like a fist pump and I'm like, yeah. And she's like, what happened? I'm like, Mika, the Red Wings scored. She goes, looks, she looks at the TV, looks at me and just goes, no, they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, she's fit to be an NHL referee. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, wait for the replay. And then she saw it. She's like, oh, awesome. And then starts bouncing around the room. The uh, the Red Wings, actually, by that point in the game, I, I want to call out, you didn't show up on the score sheet, you know, exactly to represent it, but Lucas Raymond, by that point in the game, was having a phenomenal game. Like, all over the ice, dominating his puck control, his ability to dictate play, the way he was kind of dancing around the Blue Jackets, pretty much controlling the game. 
that was uh, that was a big Lucas Raymond game, and the only reason it's not getting more attention is because you know so many other people filled the score sheet. But yeah, Raymond has really, really come on uh, over the last couple of weeks here. Rumors of Cider and Raymond's sophomore demise may have been premature. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and then in the third period, Dominic Kubelik, who else on the power play from Cider and Larkin, those three were all over the scoreboard uh, for the Red Wings. And then Tyler Bertuzzi uh, got his first goal of the season and, of course, by, by the same vein, his first goal since coming back. Uh, I think that was incredibly important for him because he's not, well, he's rusty, right? Yeah, he wasn't fairly, for a game where the Red Wings were dominant basically from beginning to end, Bertuzzi wasn't super noticeable. Um, so much like Cider, much like Cop, just just break the dam. Just just let the floodgates open. So, you know, it happened late in the game and it's, there's never a bad time to get your first goal and get the monkey off your back. But that's one of those ones that kind of sucks the game ended so shortly after because you wanted him to maybe play with a bit more confidence and get that feel back. You know, uh, Satter got his, the game before in the third period and it carried over. So, you know, I, I'm assuming yeah. the same thing will happen for Bertuzzi. And um, yeah, it's a lot of key players on the Red Wings who weren't clicking or weren't playing early in the season have turned it around very recently. So that's an extremely positive sign and an extremely needed development given what their December schedule looks like. Well, remember what we what I was saying about Cop last episode, which is that actually before I, I, I move away from Cop, great game from Andrew Cop. Two assists, and I know he wasn't the again the not the story of the night, but I think one of the best uh players for the Red Wings all around. Uh his impacts on the game were huge and I thought that was a really good cop game. And then I went and checked the the numbers after the the advanced numbers and it, it's demonstrated there too. Those lines that uh, that Lalone kind of came up with to shuffle the top six, I really liked the way they they played out. I thought it was really really good. Uh, uh, Larkin, Kubelik, Perron, and then Cop, Raymond, and uh, Bertuzzi. Like those, I thought I, I had a little bit of skepticism coming in, and I was saying, ah, eh, they're trying to find something that fits. Bertuzzi, and I'll talk about this in a second, is still very rusty, but yeah, those that top six looked great. Dylan Larkin and, and Dominic Kubelik are feeding off each other like crazy right now and add in Mo Sider contributing from the back end. it's That's kind of a sweet spot for the Red Wings. As long as they they have gaps to fill and they do because they're still missing Verana and uh, you know Fabry's out, whatever. Like That seems to be... I kind of like the lineup where it is. Yeah, obviously getting some key pieces back to help the, the depth is super important, but when players of this skill level develop chemistry, you have to run with it. And at the beginning of the season, I would not have guessed that Dylan Larkin would be would find this much instant chemistry with two newcomers. But to this point in the season, it's undeniable. And I know they've had a softer schedule. And, you know, this entire conversation should have the asterisk. It's San Jose and Columbus. But it's there. It's noticeable. It's working. Lucas Raymond's good enough to drive a line on his own. Mm-hmm. So having him as a line driver with Cop and Bertuzzi makes sense theoretically. And then we saw it in practice and it looks like that that holds true. And then, you know, obviously not having Verona, not having Fabry, you know, Soderblom and a couple other guys injured in the bottom six really does change the dynamic of the depth of this team. But if this top six is viable and then you can have, you know, 
we I know we keep wishing Zadina becomes something, but he had chemistry with Verona. And if that chemistry is on your third line with a potential 30, 40 goal scorer in Verona, that's how you you have to have luxuries like that if you want to contend. And this isn't the roster to contend, but now the certain pieces are falling into place where you can see the makeup of the team when they're good. And I know they're playing well this year and we could almost classify them as good, but I mean like legitimately good, good. Like battling for, you know, second, third in the Atlantic type of good in April. And, you know, long way to go, but it's a lot of positive developments that were question marks at the beginning of the season. Will Kubelik bounce back? Was he the 30 goal scorer? Who is Dominic Kubelik? Well, through the first, what, 20% of the season, he's better. He's better than we thought he would be. We He's better than we thought his ceiling was. Could David Perron thrive in a system outside of St. Louis? The answer is very much so, yes. Can Tyler Bertuzzi be healthy? Well, so far, no, but... <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, he can't win them all. Can Andrew Kopp anchor a second line for the first uh, few weeks of the season? The answer was very much no. And now it's very much looking like a yes. Can Lucas Raymond drive a line? Yes. Like, those are all huge developments in terms of a team trying to turn the corner. I think they're trending. I I agree with you inherently on a lot of what you're saying. I, I definitely, my brain says, well, there's no timeline on Verona at all. And I will not allow myself to hope or predict anything for Zadina. It's just what we see. And and uh, if he gets better, then, you know, wait till we see it. But I, on everything else, else that you said, definitely that's where they're trending. And the big test now for the Red Wings is how will this hold? Because we talked about this last episode. The rest of their schedule for November is not terrible. Um, of the four teams that they play, Nashville, Arizona, Toronto, and Buffalo, there's one like really, really big test there. Not that they're going to get weak games from from Nashville or Buffalo or necessarily. Buffalo's losing every game left and right. So you just know that when they go, when Buffalo visits Detroit, they're going to be on a heater. Um, but December is when it gets nuts. And December is where it's it's really going to be tough. Not just in terms of can those players maintain that same chemistry, stay healthy, produce against tougher teams, tougher goalies. They're also going to be on, a ro- on the road for you know uh, the two Florida teams in Dallas. They're not going to be able to get their matchups that they want for those games. So it's going to be even tougher then. So that's why you need certain luxuries in the lineup yeah. because then matchups become a lot easier. Quickly on Bertuzzi. You know, I talked last episode about, you know, cop hasn't been fantastic and you don't want to pretend that he's been great when he's not been. But at the same time, uh, he also missed all the training camp, a little bit of uh, like right up to the start of the season, had a core surgery that made it hard for him to get in shape and, and be game ready. Yeah, same. That's same. Well, <laughs> injuries are why I, I can't get in shape. Yeah, no, not not same as you. As someone who has an impeccable core, I know how painful <laughs> that surgery could be. Everyone on YouTube sees a side angle of your impeccable core. Oh, I know. But we already had the conversation about the added weight that camera provides. Yeah. We'll never take a sponsorship from them. No. <laughs> I can't even lie about that. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, though. He does have the same situation. Tyler Bertuzzi missed so much of the the lead up of uh, to the season, and you know it took him a while to get into exhibition games. Health was an issue, and then you know, just right at the start of the season, 
broke his hand, wrist, whatever, and uh, missed everything up until a couple of games ago. So I don't have a concern for Bertuzzi long-term in terms of how he'll play. It's just about staying healthy. We've seen Bertuzzi. When he's healthy, he performs. He's proven that time and time again. Um, but these first couple of games up until that goal wasn't really a factor on the ice, and that's because it's really, really freaking hard to play in the NHL when you're healthy, let alone when everyone's been playing, staying in shape, getting up to game speed, both physically and mentally, and you've been on the sidelines. The best ability is availability. We've said that time and time again. I know that that was our storyline for Verona at the start of the season, so obviously that doesn't apply there in the same way, but for Bertuzzi, it really, really has to be, both for him, if you want the contract that he's looking for, and for the Red Wings, if they want to be able to evaluate what kind of contract they give him or if they choose to go in a different direction. Philip Ronick, I, I want to talk a little bit more about him, though. He's been, yes or no, the be- the best defenseman for the Red Wings this season. Yes. Offensively, for sure. The pairing with Olimata has played out of 10. Mm, actually, let's say balance how much of this is Mata stabilizing the other side of that pairing and how much of this is Hronik getting better and elevating his game. Well, you can't really have one without the other, I think. I I agree. I think I kind of tried to corner you with that, but the actual answer is complicated and nuanced and it's a lot of both. Yeah, I mean, Hronik has grown and, you know, evolved as a hockey player. A lot of the reason he's been able to do that is because he's got more stability and is getting more help, which can't be discounted because, you know, if you try something in the NHL and it doesn't work, a lot of the times that ends up in your net. With a a stabilizing defenseman like Olimata, you can try something, it doesn't work, and then you get bailed out. Or you try to read defenses a little more aggressively, you make a bad pinch, Mata saves you at the blue line. So I I think Heronic is the best aggressive version of himself right now because he's not the most aggressive defenseman in the world and that's never been his like, you know, fire wagon type, but he's a guy who will step up. He likes to shoot. He likes to, you know, make the pass when it's there and he'll try and force it for better or worse sometimes. Um, I know he's one of the Red Wings defensemen who really likes to turn turnovers quickly. Mm-hmm. Like he he doesn't like to sit back and wait and regroup. He will if there's no other play, but Hronik likes playing an up-tempo, you know, go, go, go defenseman, at least as much as you can in this system. Mata's helping him do that. And because he's been trying more things, he's been finding what works and what doesn't. And early in the season, we were seeing a lot of it not work. You know, he was he was forcing passes that weren't there. They were getting picked off. There were turnovers. He was making some bad reads. But those seem to be whittling their way out of his game bit by bit by bit as the season goes on. And now we're, like I said, seeing him make the best reads. You know, the right pinches. Finding the right lanes. More, way more often than he's not. To say he's without fault would be lying. He's He still has his Philipronic moments. I mean, he got walked by Boone Jenner last night. It's going to happen. That's that's Philipronic, and we're always going to have that in Philipronic's game. But if we get a couple bad plays a game, but he's putting up 14 points in 20 games or whatever it's been, that's more than a good enough trade-off. I've seen improvements in his game, too, at a micro level, where you're right, Brad. He's not all of a sudden a defensive stalwart. 
that's important to call out. In the modern NHL, you're much more able to get away with having that on your team and a guy who's playing top four minutes. I like that he's paired with Mata for that reason. Um, but at a micro level, he's also doing things that I, I don't think he's done before. He's kind of done a little bit of the most side or neutral zone defensive stops before the play even gets started. I really like that he's added that to his game. I think he's a lot better at executing that. Um, is he perfectly positioned at all times? No. Does he sometimes get walked by talented players? Yeah, and, and you're right, Brad. You're going to see that for, for as long as he's playing. But it's nice to know that it's not, okay, he's doing really great or at least average on offense, but black hole defensively. It's it's maximizing his ability at both ends. Is It's what's really elevating his game right now. So, yeah, the lead into this is even though Mata has been a great stabilizing factor and, and I, you want to keep that pairing together because you don't want to break up the, the good mojo, a lot of credit has to be given to Philip Peronik for elevating his game this season. Yeah, I think that pairing looked a little disjointed in their own end and off the rush, like defending off the rush at the start of the season. But I think you kind of go through that as you develop chemistry and a relationship with your defensive partner. Um it's also helped that the Red Wings have, you know, added to their center depth as well. So that makes the defending life a little bit easier for for that pairing. But yeah, Hronik's really started to come into his own this year. He's he's being found in open spots and he's actually finishing plays. So um whether it's the mustache or not, he just needs to continue to do what he's doing. I think there's it's important to know that this pace probably isn't sustainable over the course of the season and he'll have his slumps. But what is what the key is here is that the Red Wings do get some kind of production from him similar to what we've seen when he's been at his best game. And the frustration with Hronik over the last few seasons has been we've seen what his best was and then it all of a sudden disappeared. It just vanished. And bad habits crept in and and it looked like they just never went away. The Phillips on this team were incredibly frustrating to watch. But yeah, you're you're both exactly right with what you raised and you know, knowing that he's not gonna do this for the whole season, or if he does, but then by God, what a find and what a mid career elevation. But uh but knowing that he does do this and that he's gonna do it somewhat consistently from the back end, that kind of production, again, that moves the Red Wings that much further up in the standings. Where it's no longer us saying, Oh, it's it's cider scoring on defense or adding production and no one else, it's, no, it's Hironic too. And to his credit, he was also producing last year. Uh, but I think the way in which he's producing the season is a lot more impactful. More on the defense, more on the Red Wings in just a moment. Before we get into all that, I want to first tell you that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using our special promo link nordvpn.com wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan plus four free months. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's no risk to you at all with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. 
If you don't, they'll issue a refund and you can pretend the entire situation never even happened. Again, check out our special promo link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel to get your subscription started today. So that Red Wing second pairing that we were talking about, really good. Obviously, you don't want to break them up. Or is it that obvious? Because before this little run good that the Red Wings have had against two teams that they should be beating, but again, the Red Wings are great. 13 goals in two games is nothing to scoff at. And I'm not going to all of a sudden complain about having a great 5-on-5 and power play game and penalty kill game against Columbus especially. But Saturn Trot defensively, I think still from time to time, maybe more times to time, struggle. To put it plainly, they they look a bit out of sorts. And it's not always, and it's not like they're bad together, especially now that Cider's turning it on. I think it's not so apparent, but do you explore splitting up that pair at all at any point this season? Yes. I was also a fan of exploring other options before the season, just in case. I mean, I get hate from both sides whenever I give an opinion about Ben Sherratt, but he is exactly what we thought he is. He is a horrible puck mover. He is hyper-aggressive, which is good in a lot of contexts. Like, I'm not saying that as a negative. Like, he yeah, yeah. he erases a lot of cycle plays. He's, he's absolutely mean in front of the Red Wings net. But he also puts himself out of position quite a bit to be that guy, to play that role. Um, he wanders way more than I thought he did. Oh that, yeah, that's the one thing where I that kind of caught me off guard about Chirac because you hear that defensive defenseman one, and you just like assume that Dekais are ultra conservative, always in the spot, never doing anything. Mm-hmm. No, Chirac's aggressive, and I I respect the mentality, but he's not the most effective at it. And Cider is also that guy. So when you have two guys on the same pairing who are of the more aggressive variety, although. For them for different reasons, it is gonna create a couple fire drills because if one of them's out of the spot and then another one goes out of a spot, then the thing with defense playing a defensive system in the NHL is once you start trying to recover, you're already dead. Yeah. Every good team is gonna take advantage of that. And we've seen that happen to the Cider and Sherratt pairing a lot. So do I think Sherratt is as bad as all his detractors were saying when he was coming in? No. Do I think he's as good as everybody who's trying to justify his contract says he is? No, absolutely not. He's somewhere in the middle. That comes with its upsides and its drawbacks. And we've seen the upsides. We see what he's good at, but we've seen the downsides. And, you know, is Ben Sherratt the perfect complement to Mo Sider? The more I watch him, the more I think, no, they're in a lot of ways, they're too similar. It's also really tough as a defenseman. Like, you'd think playing with someone who is, you know, of the same, like has the same game mentality that you do would be like, oh, it's perfect. I know exactly what they're going to do, but it really throws off your rhythm and what you're trying to accomplish with your skill set because when you play hyper-aggressive and he's a bit of a, you're a bit of a riverboat gambler, like you're always wondering what that other guy is going to do. Like, oh, like if he's always hyper-aggressive on the pinch, it's like, okay, now I got to sit back where like, yeah. I really want Mo Sider just kind of freewheeling out there rather than Ben Chirot because Mo Sider can skill his way out of problems that he that he creates from playing more offensively or 
or playing more aggressive where I don't think Ben Sherratt can. And I do think it is hindering Mo Sider as a pairing. Because I've been trying to figure this out all year. Because, again, for for all of Ben Sherratt's downsides, he is light years better than just about everybody Mo Sider was playing with last year. So... I, I, it took me a long time and I still am not super confident in my reasoning, but I'm like, why does this feel like it's gone backwards? Why does this top pairing feel like it's worse than last year when that top pairing for a very lengthy part of last year featured Danny DeKaiser? <laughs> and I think that it's for most sides specifically, DeKaiser was predictable. He knew what was going to be going on beside and behind him, and he didn't have to overthink things. Sherratt's not that guy. Again, I respect a defenseman who's aggressive. I like a defenseman who's aggressive. I appreciate that Sherratt every once in a while will step up for a hit for the all the same reasons I appreciate that Mo Sider will every so often step up for a hit. I like a defenseman who will aggressively try to snuff out a cycle by going in and throwing a big hit and stepping into a guy and just trying to put an abrupt end to it rather than just playing this shell defensive style that we've seen. So I'm not saying this in a negative context around Sherrod. Again, he's got his downsides. But until they get really, really familiar with each other's habits, this is going to continue to be a problem because they both... Sider likes to be more of a gambler with the puck and, you know making plays Sherratt's more on the physical side like he's aggressive defensively he's aggressive physically but it's two aggressive players still trying to figure out when each guy's going to jump and it's creating I'm not going to say problems but it's creating a lot of uncertainty in the defensive zone which then leads to the problems I think Mo Sider would be way better off with Olimata but I'm talking about Mo Sider specifically, not what's best for the team. Yeah. Which is very important in the context of this. Because Ole Mata fixed Philip Peronic, and that's fantastic. So let's not screw with that. I trust Mo Sider and Ben Sherratt enough as good hockey players to figure this shit out. But I I now see and can understand what's causing the problems. I do see a solution here, but it's not going to be easy because of all the reasons I've already said. I think you both hit that spot on and it took me a long while to to kind of really understand what was going on and and I almost have come full circle where for a hot second there I was like yeah you know what split it up I I like that Heronic's doing well right now but you don't want to risk sending Sider too far backwards but I think you're both right I think this is just about predictability and Sider playing with someone who is not as neutral or as you know glued to one spot or or he needs a steady Eddie yeah but Sider's young. He's a, still a kid. He, this is he, they. They both just played a hundred games. Uh, him and Raymond. So they're at the start of their careers. And Sider has a, a big old hockey brain on him. Learning to play with the Ben Sherrats, though painful, though it won't always look pretty, and it might you know take some adjustment. It's a steep learning curve. It'll the best serve players him well. can play literally with anyone. And that comes with experience with playing with with the wild cards. So I'd rather have Sider do this and see how he can adjust to playing with this play style now, young in his career when the Red Wings aren't necessarily playing, you know, playoff games. And if he never comes to terms with it, then hey, the Red Wings know who they have to pair with Mel Sider moving forward. 
certainly not Danny DeKaiser coming out of retirement, but you find that neutral, that steady Eddie, and shit, it's going to cost you less to to play whoever you're going to have on that left side now. And, I mean, to get 10 steps too far ahead of myself, that might mean that the best pairing between Sider and Edvinson is to have them apart, which is probably a good thing for the Red Wings' future. Um, or they see that over time he learns how to play with Sherratt, and that's just one more tool in, in Sider's toolkit. And this is a guy who can elevate the players around him and, and adjust his play style. So would it be perfect to have two Matas and you stick one of them next to Sider? Yeah, absolutely. But based on what the Red Wings have right now, you can get you can get elite level old Imadas. There's tons of them in the NHL. You can draft those guys light in the draft. Oh, you mean like really good defensive? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, like guys who are just very bona fide NHL players. They don't get themselves into a whole lot of trouble. They don't, you know, do a whole lot offensively, but they enable their partner to do what they need to do. And I think that is probably the complementary piece to Mosider until we see. I would very much like to see an Edvinson cider pairing getting two elite talents beside each other and seeing what comes out of that. But it's clearly showing right now cider needs to be the guy on his line. I know there's a lot uh, made about you, the empty platitude of this guy eats minutes or, you know, just a solid defenseman who can go out there and play a ton. And, and what does that mean? Because if he's playing poorly, what does it matter? But it has a real meaning and it's a, like, like both of you have said, it's a guy who can go out there and, is he the one shining on every shift and on every pairing? No, but it allows those who can to do. Mark Mathot looked like an absolute world beater playing with Eric Carlson. Yeah. And all he had to do was just be Mark Mathot. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that that is probably the greatest example in hockey in the last 20 years, actually. Mark Mathot is objectively a he nobody got... who is good at nothing, but was just reliable enough and good, just good enough defensively and just capable enough with his first pass that it's like, all right, Eric. Go. Yeah. And they backed the, Dallas backed the Brinks truck up for him, so. And it went off the rails when he got there. How could we have seen that coming? I, at this point, I mean, it's still, (laughs) we're a year plus 10 games or 20 games into the, into Mo Sider's career. I think there's still a lot more to be discovered on what works best with Mo Sider. Um, But so far it's been, you know, Mark Stahl has been the the revelation to Mo Sider's career. I, I had half a second where I was like, oh, do they try to bring in left side help? Like just another like cheap but steady player on the left side. But then you look at, it was pointed out to me, you look at the defensive depth that the Red Wings have on the left side coming out through the pipeline. It's better to just wait it out. So in a funny way, I, I think this is all predicated upon things getting progressively better, even if it's not always linear, like one step forward, two steps back might be how it looks sometimes. But as long as over the course of a season or chunks of the season it gets progressively better, I'm I'm pretty okay to watch this experiment play out. It's just funny because coming into the season, we thought the experiment would be how would Mata and Hironic get on and how would Hironic be able to maybe improve his game and, oh, finally Sider can play with someone who's not Jordan Osterley and it's, it, it's flipped. Like you look through the Red Wings system and there's a lot of intriguing possibilities going forward because we've talked about how Sherratt can play both sides. Maybe he's playing right side with um, Edmondson next year. Maybe they try Wallman insider for a hot minute and that works out. You look at the types of defensemen too, the Red Wings have in the system. You have your cider, you know, more aggressive type in Edmondson. You kind of have your Hironic, you know, middle pairing guy possibly in Johansson. 
if you want to talk about those steady eddies who are really, really good, really, really solid, we might be looking in five years at a top pairing of Cider Sobrango. Like, they're, whatever type of defenseman you want, the Red Wings have it in this system right now. It's just how many of them are actually going to pan out at the NHL level. Yeah. I always love these conversations because I know exactly the ones that people are going to listen to in six years. And remember, remember when you were talking about Emil Vero as if he was definitely going to be on the Red Wings and now he's, you know, works at the shittiest Costco in my city or whatever. It's always, whenever we... Now he we, plays in like the Romanian third league. Yeah. What is Alexei Marchenko up to these yeah. days? <laughs> Jesus. I, there I you always, go right there. That's always the name that comes to <laughs> mind for me. Oh, man. I've never seen a guy do so many glass and outs in one game consistently. I heard Ryan Sproul did all right in China for a hot minute. Uh Real statement. That's a real that sentence. Was, yeah, it wasn't sarcasm. That actually happened. Yeah. I mean, it was in the KHL, but, you know. <laughs> Quickly here, a couple things. Uh, first of all, Dominic Kublik. I know we've talked a lot at length, and we can talk forever about how good he's been. Um, one really important thing to note is if he holds this up over the course of the rest of the season, the Red Wings don't have to worry about signing him for next season because he's signed for two years. Two years at 2.5 a year. This is the perfect scenario for the Red Wings. They can offer this guy an extension when he's eligible to be extended. And if the Red Wings are confident enough in his performance, they can give him something like term and decent money. And based on what he's had so far in his career, you know, this is a guy who was just left unqualified. You have to imagine that he would value a contract with any amount of term. They have the option where if they think he's overperforming or they're like, you know, for the the price we think he'd take, we don't want to pay him because we want to try and keep both Larkin and Bertuzzi or whatever it is. I would be shocked if they weren't, if Eisman wasn't already getting calls on Dominic Kubelik for trade. And if he regresses to the mean and starts to produce half as well as he is right now, spoiler alert, that's what we thought would be a good outcome from Kubelik at the time of signing. Like, this is a win-win-win-win-win scenario in my mind uh, unless something goes catastrophically wrong or it just does a complete 180. But with Kubelik, this is like the best positioned player for the team right now in performance, for how the player's doing, and for Steve Eisman and how he's constructing this team. Honestly, don't think it's that dramatic to say it's the signing of the offseason across the league. Yeah, in terms of dollars. to One the, of. Yeah, like, absolutely. The other one might be Philly, so... Yeah. <laughs> Well, trade then sign, much yeah. to the, the, the dismay of Leafs fans, but yeah. Hey, it all works out the same. Um, and Kubelik's not that old. He's 26? 27. 27. So yeah, he's he's definitely still got years left, and his game's not a game predicated on speed. So y- there's reason to believe that, yeah, he's probably got at least three, four, possibly five good years left in him. So yeah, I mean, the Red Wings don't have to rush anything because, like you said, the two years, they could go all the way up to the trade deadline next year before he would probably, quote-unquote, need an extension. And then they can get a, a longer look. Because, you know, the one cautionary tale is he's done this before. 30-goal season followed by not much. So, that being said, the way he's playing right now does look... I'm not going to say sustainable to this level, but a sustainable top six forward. Um so hopefully it's not just, you know, fool's gold, but yeah, it's, it's hard to find a better value signing than this anywhere in the NHL this entire off season. And the way he's meshed in that top six is like, you don't even have to say 
No, this is definitively a top six player on a competitive team. If he elevates your top six, where the Red Wings, I think, have the core pieces to always have a good top six as long as the complementary players aren't like you have to play Austin Zarnick up there or something ridiculous like that. Darren Helm? Anyways. It's what the Red Wings have been doing forever. Like that is for two and a half million for the rest of the season and next. Like that is just perfect for what the Red Wings need. If he stays, it won't be that cheap. I'll tell you that much. No, no, it won't. But track record factors into term and dollars and he doesn't have a very long one. So this is one of those perfect storms where you can find value even on a re-signing. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't, I'd be shocked if he ended up staying at this pace, but 21 points over 18 games is, is only beat by Dylan Larkin with 22 points over 18 games who's leading the team. And it seems like when one is having a good game, so is the other. And they have legitimately led the Red Wings in, in offense all year. Dylan Larkin, um, I think before last night ended, was top 10 in NHL scoring. He's currently tied for 17th. That's bad for Bitcoin. Well, <laughs> yeah, Bitcoin being the Red Wings cap situation. Yeah, Eiserman all of a sudden hoping that they add even more digital, digital ads so you know revenue goes up and that backlog gets cleared and the cap uh, increases so they have room. But Need all the money, just going to have a giant... FTX at <laughs> logo on the jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe not anymore though. <laughs> the I know we're looking at small sample sizes here and let's see how December goes, but through 18 games, Larkin has looked as good as he has throughout his entire career in my mind. Uh, this is a guy where, this is a guy, this is a guy where you look at the way the contract shakes out and what the Red Wings have room for and what they can offer over seven versus eight years. And yeah, that's maybe closer to eight and a half, 8.2, whatever that Eisman wants to offer. But Larkin is making a strong, strong, strong case of strong arm his way into 9 million plus. Easily. It's any by stats. It's, and then the analytics are even better. <laughs> it's going to be very tough. It's going to be very tough to. I don't know. I, I just see this being a, a harder negotiation. Like at no point is there kind of any leeway, right? Unless we get definitive news that the cap is going up dramatically, like 100% solid or Larkin slumps forever or wakes It is up. only November 20th. Yeah. I, I mean, the this wheels is, fell off, I think, completely fell off last year. In about a week or two. In now. about a week or two. And then they didn't win for like an eternity. So yeah. it is still very early days. But uh, the w- in way in which he's producing looks very, I, I don't know if I should say sustainable, but maybe. Yeah, I mean, that, that fall off's not going to happen again this year. Um, you know, uh, on an unrelated, lo- unrelated note, definitely don't go look at the Red Wings' December schedule and just uh, well enjoy the, the what should be sustained success. Yeah, I know we talked about it last episode, but the Red Wings' December schedule is like, I know there's the Thanksgiving cutoff, and it's like, how close are they to a playoff spot? And right now, the Red Wings are in the first wild card spot. 22 points. The Rangers right behind them, tied uh, one more game played. Florida right behind Detroit with 20 points in 18 games. So it's not like they're definitively in a playoff spot. You have to go all the way down to Buffalo, Ottawa, and Columbus for those who are more than eight points away or more than seven points away. Could the Red Wings have a balanced schedule, for God's sakes? Like, well, <laughs> it feels like one week we play world beaters, the next week we play Anaheim, San Jose, uh, Columbus, and then the next week we play Tampa, Toronto, Colorado. 
And then your beer league team. Four and then times my beer that. league team, yeah. they do a four game trip yeah. against. But it's all at eleven at night. Oh yeah, it's more than the the Thanksgiving cutoff. I think after December, like knowing how hard that schedule is, you have to artificially extend your definition on what expectations are for the Red Wing season. Like I, I hate to say it, but even if there's in that same wild card spot at Thanksgiving, I'm not trusting that to continue out. We've seen how the Red Wings are affected, like you said, by tough schedules, by streakiness, by things like that. For me, it's Christmas this year. Yeah. Because the December schedule is very, very difficult, and you're playing a lot of elite and cup-contending teams. Like That is an ultimate benchmark right there. Um, you do get a couple stinkers in there, maybe to help reset the clock and reset the, the confidence a little bit. Um but it's that's a lot, a lot of games in the month of December. Good morning, kids. Four on the road against very strong teams. Well, except for well, Columbus. Except for Columbus. Yeah. I, well, it's hey, hard to see over there. Columbus just waxed Florida 5-2 a couple minutes ago. <laughs> they were pissed off about the Red Wings? <laughs> Anyhow, uh, the Red Wings have quite a bit coming up. And uh, I, know, I know moving that timeline from... Basically, a month from Thanksgiving to Christmas isn't going to sit well with people. And it's not that it's it's bad to be optimistic. Okay, but... I'll do December 10th. No, nah, okay. December 13th? 11th, 12th, 13th. 13th. Evan does math live on air. <laughs> God, I can't see that. Stats I'm getting old, right can't here. see anything. After, why don't we say December 15th? Because then that's Vegas, Columbus, Tampa, Florida, Dallas, Carolina, Minnesota. Sure. How about Halfway that? through December. And I then didn't, let's see where the compromise are at. Yeah. people. Uh quickly elsewhere in the NHL. Um the NHL is grandfathering in a helmets in warm-ups rule. What the hell does that even mean? How do you grandfather that? I well, think everybody's gone bucket off. If you were in the league, what is it, 2019 or sooner? Oh, 2019, okay. 20, anybody who joined the league after that has to wear. A helmet and warm-ups. Kind of like the no visor thing right now. There's only like, what, eight, nine, ten guys left without a visor because it was grandfathered in like ten years ago. Yeah. So, not a massive change. Uh, I like the way uh, uh, Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman put it. It's really just because it looks cool. That's the only reason players do it. Isn't that the reason why we do everything in hockey? Yeah. Some of the greatest moments of hockey are watching the flow just flying around out there someone made fun of that they're like hockey, hockey hair is a thing they're like uh uh not for everyone evan okay well that's easier <laughs> even ryan gets left <laughs> <laughs> whoa hey hey hey, hey. <laughs> listen he had great flow when he entered the league <laughs> i make fun of myself but don't put that on me uh someone said they're like these are nhl players they don't care about how they look it's like no that's exactly why they do it because it looks sick and oh, i gotta yeah. you can't lie as a hockey player whenever you get the opportunity to warm up like would you a, go bucket uh, how would you go bucket off every game or what would be your sort of for warm-ups? Yeah. No, for the game, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, that's why yeah, I'm where so your stupid bucket now. walking into <laughs> the arena, down, people think you're a dunce. <laughs> yeah, I would uh any any game where I was ever allowed to, which was usually just like tournaments. No, I stuff. mean like if you played in the NHL. Every game, buckets off. Oh yeah, me too. Hundred yeah, percent. Oh yeah. Dude, I made the show like yeah, you're you're elite athlete. Like you can take your helmet off for warmups. It yeah. looks cool as hell. Is that stupid? Objectively, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's dumb as hell. That's why we're hockey players. <laughs> there's a lot yeah. worse things that traditions that happen in sport than that. I 
buckets off, I'd be buckets off all the time. Buckets off, three things of hubba bubba gum in there, packing the fattest lip, just stretching on the red line the whole whole warm-up. I got to say, though, I've played with some idiot teammates who could not control their shots during warm-ups. Yeah, but they don't play in the NHL. No, that's right. Yeah, I I have a, I, I love playing with this guy, but he was shooting at the glass. <laughs> he was shooting at the glass. I think it was like a inter, inter, or intra-city rivalry game, and we had some friends in the stands. He was shooting slap shots at the glass. He had a wicked slap shot <laughs> right off a referee's mouth. Like, why are you shooting at the glass, dude? <laughs> the referee busted his lip open. We had to do that game with two refs who were not happy with us. So one linesman, one official. Yeah, it was rough. Anyhow, uh, Hockey Hall of Fame, very quickly. Uh, it was the induction of uh, Henrik and Daniel Sedin, Roberto Luongo, Daniel Alfredson, Rika Salonen, and Herb Carnegie as a builder. Um, pretty standard fare in terms of who is in. Like, I, I know there's a lot of debate every year as to you know who deserves to be in and not, but how do you say no to Lou, the Sedins? Alfredson, of course. Rika Red Wings Sa- legend, Daniel Alfredson. You know, I really loved Alfredson in his time with Detroit. I wish it lasted I watched longer. my friend Soul. What's, what's the Ralph Wiggum meme when you see his heart? You can see the exact moment his heart broke. Yeah. I witnessed that with my friend who's a diehard Sens fan. Man, the number Melnick did on that team is insane. Uh, and I like the credit that Rika Salonen and Herb Carnegie got as well. That's the real value with the Hall of Fame. Like, Obviously, it's good to recognize the players who you always knew were going to end up there, but then the stories that people don't necessarily appreciate, I think that's what the Hall's for. And uh, we're inching ever closer to the Henrik Sederberg debate, the Pavel Datsuk debate. Eventually, he'll be a bit behind him, and then Henrik Longfist will get in. Anyhow, next year is wide open. Datsuk's a no-brainer, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, okay. I thought uh, the way you sort of were phrasing that, I was thinking maybe I was crazy, thinking Mm. he's a no-brainer. I think he's in first ballot. I could see them pushing Zetterberg a ballot or two. Well, I think Zetterberg's best chance is next year because the only lock for next year is Lundqvist among like first time eligible. God, that'll be a handsome uh, group. Yeah, could you imagine not watching that ceremony? Bad for the confidence. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, but that being said, virtual locks don't always get in because you know I would have said when he retired, McGilney was a lock, and here we are. Yeah. Oh, so maybe next year. <laughs> maybe next year is when they do that. Just like the Leafs, thinking they're going to win the cup. Maybe next year. Speaking of strikingly handsome Swedes, I, there's a lot being made right now of what's going on in Vancouver, and are they selling Bo Horvat, and they finally going to rebuild, blah, blah, blah. But a name that's come up on the trade market, funny enough, in San Jose is Eric Carlson. We talked earlier about how he's been performing. The highest scoring defenseman in the NHL, lighting it up, seems like Eric Carlson of old but also has that absolute anchor of a contract that is... Who can afford that? It's going to need double retention. The double retention also comes with the caveat of, well, then you're paying two teams in a trade. Yeah. Because you're giving assets to both. And again, it's four years. So even if that second team is only retaining uh, 2.8, we'll just say for easy math, that's for they're retaining that for four. Four years. So that's not like here's a fifth round pick. Thanks for a couple bucks. You know, nobody's putting that on their on their cap situation for that long. The problem with the Eric Carlson trade market is there's so many unknowns because this would be so unprecedented. If San Jose came to you right now, you can have him. People are saying no. No, because they're not, not touching that contract. Where does that dollar value have to get down to where the Pete teams jump on the you can have him? Right? You know what I mean? 
And then where does that dollar value start where people are starting to give up assets? What's the dollar value when people start giving up premium assets? Because Eric Carlson for 2.8, oh, I'm paying a heavy price to get that. I am paying a significant trade package to get that. Am I paying anything to get Eric Carlson at 11 million? No, I am not. Like, so there's going to be this weird reverse bidding war if people are interested in Eric Carlson, which obviously Eric Carlson should garner a lot of interest. This is not a fluke. There was a stretch for a couple of years where Carlson was arguably the best player on the planet. And um, if it wasn't for injuries, that that conversation would have lasted a lot longer. And now that he seems to be fully healthy again, he's performing on a bad team, I might add, like the best defenseman in the world again. And yeah, what's what's going to be that middle ground? Because if, if San Jose came to Detroit right now you can have him. We'll retain three million. No, I probably do it. You do that? I I don't know. I it, it's fascinating, and I'm curious to see if anything happens. Now, my prediction, because I know how conservative and boring NHL GMs here, and I know this is going to end with just Eric Carlson's contract writing out in San Jose. But I think, first of all, my prediction is that a team maybe tries to make a trade for him and they go through all that, but he says no because he wants to live in the Bay Area. He yeah, that a, makes it tough. He may, he has a full no move, so yeah, I don't know. It's 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 about him wanting to uproot his family again, right? Like it's, you're, you went through a lot in Ottawa, on and off the ice. I don't know, 32 years old, four seasons after this one left at 11.5. San Jose comes up to you, you can have him or in half, but just please take him. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. Okay. But also, see remember, that now we're less than two million. We're only about two and a half million apart from each other. Also, remember that he's thriving now that Brent Burns is gone. He's that guy in San Jose. There's not another right shot D ahead of him. He's got to be that guy. He's, I think that's he's always thrived being that guy. And I don't like. Okay, let's hypothetically say he could go to any team in the world. Magic wand. He goes place in Tampa. I like. I find it. V- it sounds ludicrous to say, but I find it very hard to believe that Eric Carson, Car- Eric Carson, Eric Carlson, <laughs> will be the same person in Tampa that he is in yeah. Florida. Uh, oh my! In San Jose, no. brain shutting down for the night. <laughs> We're near the end. Holy! There. No, I don't think Eric Carlson has to be that guy. I think he's got to be that guy offensively. But here's the beauty of Eric Carlson: if he goes to any team in the NHL that isn't Colorado, he is that guy. Pretty much, yeah. Is that Kale McCarr is probably the only defenseman in the NHL that I can confidently say is a better offensive option than Eric Carlson right now. Um, and probably for the next year or two at least. Um, you know, do I think Eric Carlson makes the most sense for Detroit with Mo Sider and Phil Peronic? I mean, if the Red Wings were a contender now, yes, absolutely. But four years, yeah, that's a different conversation. But could Carlson walk into a dynamic where he's not the guy defensively, but he's the guy offensively. Absolutely. That's probably the perfect situation for him. Cause let's not forget. He took a very mediocre sense team to within one shot of the Stanley cup finals. That pass he made to Mike Hoffman is the greatest pass I've ever seen in my life. No, I will argue that's the greatest pass in the history of hockey. It was, I've never seen a better pass. It than was that perfect. One. I think about whenever someone does, Says like what we've all seen like what's the greatest goal highlight reel, but what's the greatest pass of our generation? That's always talked about that one. That and it might be one of the t- top goals too because that move was yeah. no joke. Yeah. Finish it on one hander. Um, the pass he made to Broussard, I think in the same playoff series late in the third period. 
I don't know. It's super fascinating. I'm. It's hard for me to not be biased on this because I've said on the pod before, Eric Carlson's my favorite player in the world and that doesn't play for the Detroit Red Wings. Um, so obviously I would love to find a scenario to get him to Detroit financially and timeline-wise. I, I have a hard time seeing how it would work and what San Jose would be willing to accept. There are good teams in the NHL, though, that have the means, the timeline, and the assets to make it happen. So it's just going to be a matter of NHL GMs for once in their damn lives not being boring and actually getting creative with a trade. And before they do it, and Carlson nixes it. Because he's yep. like, I've had enough excitement in my life. I In a situation like this, where San Jose is obviously going through a rebuild, they are not going to make a trade that Carlson's going to nix. He will be involved every step of the way. Uh, his agent will be involved. Eric, they're talking to Florida. No. Okay, now we're talking to Washington. Okay. Like, yeah. Okay. That's quite enough. Uh, Evan's brain is shutting down. Um, I... Also, I'm similarly there with most of the edits this episode being absolutely my fault. Yeah, so. maybe you'll post a couple of your bloopers in the Discord this time, <laughs> you jackass. <laughs> wow, well, let's just post Evans. They were really funny bloopers. You know what? It, it wasn't the bloopers that made it funny. It was your reactions to them. I just get... No one can be more upset at the, at the moment than I am. No one can be more mad at me than I am. You're way funnier. I just get really frustrated and slam my fist on the table. Yeah, you just beat the hell out of your MacBook. <laughs> Brad just skates right through it. Brad's like, I've never made a mistake in my life. You fix this in post, idiot. We're going to jump into overtime, uh, which is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to get access to the Discord where I post Evan's bloopers, I'll post some of mine in there as well. Uh, as well, you get uh, access to our Patreon exclusive uh, overtime uh, full overtime bonus episodes that we post after this so any overtime questions that don't make it to the main show we still answer that we post on a very fun uh, overtime show for you you get entered into giveaways we're giving away two tickets to every red wings home game this season and the majority of them are going to patrons Uh, there's a ton of great benefits to join the dub dub club so patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast okay cody stark says hypothetically speaking let's say fabry and verona both come back tomorrow what would the lines look like I got to assume that as it stands now, they're not going to tinker with the top six. So pick a centerman, let's say Rasmussen, and he's between them on the third line. Yeah. Who, at whose expense does that come? It's probably Berggren that goes down, right? Berggren being waiver exempt will be a casualty because again, that's how hockey blown, works. Yeah. Yeah, those guys probably are on the outs because there's no risk of losing them. And I mean, the Red Wings have enough depth now that like, it's not like years past where the Red Wings are sending this prospect down and we're all flipping out because he was clearly obviously better than five guys on the roster and he only went down. It's hard to say right now, Bergen's definitively better than 12 forwards on this team when fully healthy, right? So yeah, you get the logic. Uh, Okay. Next question here is from Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe. He says, you guys may have discussed this before, but what are your takes on teams earning two points for wins in OT and shootouts? Frankly, I'm over it. I'm fine with three-on-three hockey and even the shootouts, but I don't think getting two points for winning like that makes any sense, nor does getting one point for losing a hockey game in any manner. When I get on the NHL Board of Governors, I'll I'll be pushing for one point for three-on-three OT wins, half a point for shootout wins, and no points for losses. I was with you till the end there. 
I'm a big fan of the three, two, one point system. Yeah. I, those who have been listening to this podcast long enough, I think all three of us are huge proponents of the three, two, one point system. Three points for regulation win, two points for an OT shootout win, and then one point for an OT shootout loss. Every, every game is worth three points. Yep. No matter how it shakes down, three points are distributed. But we won't see that because it. I think it does spread out the standings in theory. It makes fewer, closer races. There have been tests done over previous seasons that have shown that that problem, that gap does not get as big as people seem to think. There's still a lot of competitive balance. But yeah, they like the 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 loser point because it does create a bit of artificial parity. Cranjus McBasketball says, given Heronic's season so far, do you feel like the Red Wings need to uh, evaluate him ASAP if this is his true form? Because if you don't think it, this is uh, who he is, then maybe trading him now would be a great move. I'm personally indifferent. Um, I mean, sure, but I think it's it's kind of a funny question because what do you mean by evaluate? Like, essentially, you're asking the question, do they think he can continue this? Is it sustainable? And that's, I mean, that's a million dollar question. Uh, do I think the Red Wings have to do anything right now? No. I think Hronik has done enough where so far this season where come trade time, if the Red Wings want to trade him, whenever that might be between now and the trade deadline, they probably still will be able to. I know he's been shopped in previous seasons and they didn't find buyers at the right price, but um, I don't think there's any rush to make a move. I think I'm at the point now with this team. December could change this, but do not trade good players unless you have no other choice. Heronic's under contract at a reasonable cap hit for a while still. They have no reason to trade him. You need good players to be on your roster as you're turning the corner. When I say don't trade good players unless you have to, Tyler Bertuzzi is the opposite example. Very good player. Would definitely help this team turn the corner. But if he's not willing to sign a contract extension by the deadline, you get something for him so you don't lose him for nothing. They are not in that situation with Philip Peronix. So, you know, if someone comes in and absolutely blows you away with a trade offer, I'd, I'd literally trade anybody off the roster for the right price. But that's probably not coming, and they don't need it to come because he's under contract for a while. Original Patty says, gear question for Brad. My whole life I've played either the Bauer PM9 or Warrior W01, neither of which are available off the shelf anymore. Plus, I generally prefer a stiffer flex like 90 to 95. I've tried the closest generally available patterns, but none feel quite right. And online customization only allows up to an 87 flex, at least in Bauer. The only idea I've come up with is figuring out uh, with RH pros or which right-handed pros play this flex slash pattern and try ordering them as pro stock overruns. Any other suggestions for reference? I'm six foot, 215 pounds, topped out at midget tier one, but that was almost 20 years ago. Thanks, guys. Okay, for the curve, um, my general answer here, because I do get a lot of guys who who love the old patterns and all that stuff, Adapt. The companies are not going to start producing these and you're going to be going on this hunt till the day you die. Most people I talk to, I'm like, just give P88 a go for a few months. I mean, it's the closest you're going to get to a heel curve. Every company does three curves religiously. The P88 is one of them. Yeah, adapting sucks. I know I'm in the same boat as you. I hate changing my curve. I hate it, hate it, hate it. Um, but the curve I used to use was discontinued, so I, you know, adapted to the P92. I'm very comfortable with it now. I love it. 
I, I wouldn't go off it again, even if my old curve came back. Um, for flex, it's hard to say because shooting technique matters a lot. I'm I'm a huge proponent of going as low in flex as you can before you start breaking sticks. You know, I, generally people around your your build that come in, I'd recommend 85 to 87. Um, again, I, I I don't know what level you're playing in your technique, so a 95 could be perfectly justified. Um, but again, just from my experience, 75 to 80 percent of the people that come in to talk to me about this or using a stick that's too stiff for them. Ryan, what flex do you use? Uh, like 85, 80. Okay. Yeah. I was, thought we were going to have to bully you again. But. Oh, no, we're going to bully him because that's insane. <clears throat> Why? You're my size, dude, and I'm using a flex 15 points lower than you, and no offense, I shoot better than you technique-wise. Yeah, you yeah, absolutely get wrecked, bud. That's why I'm using the wrong stick. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you guys you new need here? To, you need to be in a 70 like at most. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not funny <laughs> you on that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I've never I've literally never been a good shooter in my life. And you know what? It's been long I it's been long enough where I've been on the ice consistently, like in a league rather than me just playing whatever like bullshit shinny. Yeah. Where like I'm literally just grabbing whatever stick I have. Yeah, yeah. You're like the I just the, get whatever Brad tells me to buy. Yeah. I used one of Brad. I actually borrowed one of Brad's sticks for like two months, and I was playing with it. I'm like, "Oh, I hate this." It's uh, yeah. yeah. You were using, I think, my road hockey stick. Literally, <laughs> well, that explains it. That explains the rocks. <laughs> but yeah, no, I probably should be at a lower flex. Although I'm heavier now than I like. I I actually have more muscle now than when I played consistently. So I don't know. Like I'm 175. I like yeah, we're about the same se- 77 is my absolute max, and I would never dream of going over it. I'm using a 70 right now. Okay, so I'm going down to 70 then. Yeah, I just cool. use a P28 curve, and I just go bar down all day. Oh, same. That's me too. Evan, high and wide lob singer. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we're we're establishing the the cycle game with my sh- shooting technique. <laughs> all right, we have a question here from Reddit. Uh, I want to make sure to get at least one of these. Uh, let's kill time says guys I love this so love this show so much really appreciate that and the kind words a lot of you actually left us really kind messages on, on reddit and patreon so thank you all uh, says my question is around team skating ability lots of great teams have great skaters most of our players aren't fast aren't as fast like Peron, Sunquist, Burt, Ras, uh, Mata how much emphasis do you think Stevie Y should be putting on skating for roster construction to build a true contender uh, a lot um but I think, but I'm going to follow that up by saying I think he already has. Um, the Red Wings as a team right now are arguably one of the worst skating teams in the NHL. Like, how many above average skaters do they have? Larkin, Valeno, it's not, it's Cider. Not a lot of, yeah, it's not a lot of notable ones. Yeah, there's, there's, I'm just talking above league average. Like, I'd say at best 20% of the roster fits that description. But you look in the system, Edvinson, Johansson, you know, et cetera, et cetera, uh, Casper. Yeah. The the prospects can skate. So I think the solution is already in place. But yeah, the, the Red Wings' lack of speed right now is not ideal. All right, folks. Next episode is going to be Thursday. So uh, the midweek is Thursday this week. Patrons, there's going to be a little bonus for you coming earlier in the week. And for the rest of you, there may be a bonus episode for you on Wednesday, a little something. So stay tuned for that. But next main episode will be Thursday. The Red Wings take on the Natural Predators at home on Wednesday night. Uh, So we'll be covering that. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, Nice to be able to talk about some Red Wings wins. Thank you to the sponsors of this episode, NordVPN, all of our listeners, new and old. 
all of our patrons, uh, our name level sponsors on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefur, Armchair GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver of the number 69, Cryon Ryan, Hannes Banana, Slime Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Brandon M., Carl Brutanen Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris Ball, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Evan Lobsterbringer, Philip Zadina, the Prophet of the Second Pair, Right D, Philip Ronick, Give Blood Fight Probert, Red Rot Ronick, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joseph Barry, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nedelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, The Podcasting Couch, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, uh, Dave W., Philip Zidiz Nuts, Heil, have an order of a large fries and a pizza with two eyes, also maybe a win, Ronix Handlebar, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Logan Burgos, Matt Keeler, Matt S., loyal so- soldier of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, uh, M. Cucci, O. Ophelia, Papa Woody, Puce on the Loose, Thick Rick, and Aaron Hudson. Thank you all so much. We'll talk to you Thursday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.